1: Good evening, family of God. Ron Geyer back again. End Time Insights. And we're talking about Christian difficulties, the life of a Christian. It's not one of uh, laying on a bed of roses, a bed of ease. It's a difficult life. It's a life of tough love. It's a life of difficult decisions, difficult challenges. Uh, we will be confronted. We will face tribulation. We will suffer for Christ we will be afflicted. It's just the nature of God preparing us for life in the kingdom. Hallelujah. So anyway, the foundation scripture was in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Remember, enter ye. That not only is an invitation, it is a commandment. Enter you. It's personal. Enter you in at the straight gate. That's the way you must get into eternal life. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate. Okay, so here we go. There's another gate, right? Number one, enter ye in at the straight gate. There is a straight gate. That's the gate that Jesus recommends you entering in. For wide is the gate. That's another gate, and that gate leads to destruction. The narrow gate leads to life. The wide gate, the broad way, leads to destruction, And then in other contrast, many there be which go in the wide gate that leads to destruction. And only a few go in through the narrow gate, which leads unto life. So basically, there's two gates, straight gate and the wide gate. One leads to eternal life and the other one leads to destruction. Most people will find the wide easy gate and they will be destroyed, I'm sorry to say. Only a few, the words of Jesus, only a few. I don't know what a few in a world population with eight or nine billion looks like, but only a few there be that find the narrow gate. So we're going to pick up on that. Uh, We spoke about Paul and Barnabas, uh, what they did. They were traveling around the cities and they were confirming the souls of the disciples. That was in Acts 14 confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, knowing that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You'll find tribulation on the narrow gate. You won't find it on the wide way, which leads to destruction. The Amplified described, Acts fourteen twenty two described what confirming the souls of the disciples looked like. It says, establishing the souls, strengthening their souls and the hearts of the disciples. And how did they do that? Urging and warning and encouraging them to stand firm in the faith. Why? Because it is through many hardships and tribulations that the disciples must enter the kingdom of God. And, you know, this was a demonstration of true discipleship. They weren't telling people what they needed to hear. They weren't telling people what would benefit themselves. They were telling people what would benefit the kingdom of God, what would include them to secure their inclusion into the kingdom of God. Through many hardships and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There's not even a door number three. There's not even a door number two. You must go in the narrow way. While this is also a not only a demonstration of true discipleship, it's also a demonstration of of true biblical pastoral love, which is missing from our pulpits. Very rarely do we see a pastor or someone in a leadership position be willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. Was it? Shepherds. We're really called shepherds if we're going to tell you the truth about it. And shepherds lay down their lives for the sheep. It's what Jesus did as the chief shepherd. But we have many people in there that are redefining the role of a pastor. They're not willing to suffer hardship, suffer persecution for the sake of Christ, let alone for the sake of the people they are supposed to be feeding and guarding. And it's a very difficult situation. It's led led to a compromise of the saints of God. We don't stand tall what is it, Western phrase, we're not riding tall in the saddle, but we're wavering, we're easily dissuaded, we are not committed like we need to be. And so God has given our shepherds uh charge to make sure and ensure that we do that, and yet, I think across America, they're failing. And the way that Paul and Barnabas confirmed the souls of the disciples, cutting to the chase, we spoke about this last week, very simply. They told them the truth. They didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. They didn't tell them what they felt would bless them. They told them the warnings. The fact that you would go through hardships and tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. That is a warning, uh, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in their faith. They were warning them that danger was ahead. That is true pastoral leadership. That is true pastoral love. And they did it by telling them the truth. Not the happy truths. But the whole truth, all of the truth. What did I write this down here? Let's see. It's speaking the truth in love. Amen. That includes telling people about the dangers and the deceptions that were ahead of them if they stayed on the narrow road. Remember, the narrow road, it's got the dangers, but it's also got the warning signs. But the wide road doesn't tell you about where it's headed, and it doesn't have any warning signs because it's manifested in danger that doesn't come with Uh, Safety. There is nobody out there. You've got the false preachers out there. You've got the preachers that will tickle your ears out there on the wide road, but they're not going to tell you the things that you need to battle through. They want you in their churches. They want your money in their pockets. They want popularity. They want to be known. It's the culture of the world. So in this specific instance where Paul and Barnabas were talking, the truth that they needed to hear, the truth that God sent them to preach was further direction. That would ensure that they would stay on the narrow way. It's a battle, man. You've got to stay on it. Our natural inclination is to go the wide way. That's where most people are. No, you must stay on the narrow way where all of the persecution, the affliction, the dangers are present. And thank God that in Christ we are protected. We are warned from the danger. It's not a pat on the back, this exhortation that Paul and Barnabas gave to the saints. It wasn't a kind word. It was true exhortation. It was a kick in the pants, and it was a harsh rebuke, exhort in the Websters, to incite by argument or advice, to urge strongly, to give warnings or advice, to make urgent appeals, I think many of our pastors are so concerned with offending us now, they don't talk to us in the language of the Lord. They don't give us strong, urgent warnings. They don't give us hard advice that goes against what makes our flesh comfortable. They don't make urgent appeals. A good sermon, John Osteen mentioned this to us uh, when he was pastoring Lakewood Church. He says a good sermon will have something for the sinner. It will have something for the baby Christian, and it will have something for the mature Christian. And all three need the same spirit food. They need the truth in love. You know, Paul wouldn't be welcomed in today's full gospel churches, not with the message that he was preaching. He would be shut down like they shut down David Brokerson. He would be shut down who went from the darling of the word of faith crowd into a pariah because he spoke the hard truths. He spoke the warnings of God. I've known many, many preachers. They don't warn you about the dangers that are ahead of you as a Christian if you'll live a holy life, a committed life. They will warn you about what will happen to you if you don't tithe your income. They will warn you what will happen to you if you don't show up on church on Sunday mornings. And we need to start telling the people the biblical warnings because the biblical dangers are here now. So here, their exhortation came in the form of a warning preparing them for bad news. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Note the language there. We must. It's not an option. If you wish to enter the kingdom of God, you must go through hardship and tribulation. Try to think back to the last preacher, the last sermon you heard that addressed those issues. I don't hear them. That's not really spoken of by the church. There are some true men and women of God in the pulpit that really do love the people of God. And you need to find them. You need to let them teach you. You need to support their ministries. Hardship and tribulation, sacrifice and suffering. These are all warning signs which God has called preachers to put on the narrow road as they walk with the saints and with the Lord Jesus along that path that leads to eternal life. But God's preachers, for the most part, are just failing to tell us these warnings. They're not only failing to tell us the warnings, they're removing the warning signs as well. They won't talk about the danger. And what do we got? We're left with a church, for the most part, that's powerless, that's faithless, that's deceived, and it's destitute of the truth. Early saints, they were mostly Jews, right? They knew what was coming. They knew the cost that it was going to exact from them in giving their lives over to Christ. They knew they would probably be kicked out of the Jewish temple, which to them was like the ultimate hardship. The Jewish temple was the center of Jewish life. They knew that their jobs were at risk. They could lose their homes. They could even lose their lives, yet they went ahead. They counted the cost because Paul... Spoke to them about it. The preachers back in those days told them Christianity is real. Hatred for Christ is real. Hatred for the people of God is real. Hatred for the church is real. And they let them know it may cost you all of these things. For the greater part, I would say, most of today's Christians don't know the cost required to walk in holiness. But truth be told, Paul was using this language to strengthen their souls. When he told them about the hardships, when he told them about the afflictions, that was being used to strengthen their souls. It wasn't used to be making them comfortable. It wasn't used to allay perhaps any fears that they would have. The harsh language of the threats to their safety, their life, and their well-being was used to strengthen your souls. It's the opposite of the way the world does it. The world pats you on the back, say everything's going to be all right, and they sing kumbaya. No, the Lord has Paul telling people in order to strengthen their souls the hardships they're going to face. God's way is different than the way of the world. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But Paul used truth. But the reason it worked with Paul so well, because Paul loved the people of God. If you're going to grow the saints, the Bible talks about, I think it's Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow by the truth in love. And the evidence of Paul's love was that he spoke the truth. Now we've got love that is empty. It's devoid of truth, which is counterfeit love. That's not biblical love. Here's another example of biblical love for me to you, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Look at that. That doesn't make you feel good, but it does strengthen your soul. It does strengthen your spirit, strengthen your heart, if you will let it, if you will receive it. Paul didn't promise them comfort. He didn't tell them they would be rich. He didn't tell them they could be healed. He didn't tell them that God was on their side, that he had Your picture on his refrigerator in heaven. He didn't tell him any of that stuff. He told him the truth. He packed up his bags and he hit the ground running. And what did he carry? He carried the message of truth, which was the demonstration of love. Armed and ready with the truth for whatever he faced. He was preparing the disciples by giving them what they would need to keep them on that right road. What they needed to keep them on the narrow road was God's truth. That would enable them to maintain a godly lifestyle and to keep them in Christ Jesus. The Message Translation, 2 Timothy 3.12, anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. I mean, there it is. You don't really teach out of the Message Translation because it kind of skewers thing. It diverts a little bit from the actual translation. It's not a translation. It's a version of the Bible. But anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for trouble. That's a truth no matter what version you read. If you will live out your life for Jesus Christ, you are in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. This is the message uh, version again going on. Unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. As long as they're out there, things can only get worse. If you've seen the latest post from Franklin Graham, he's talking about, I guess he's over in – with Israel, and he's talking about the fact that it doesn't get any better, people, it gets worse. And so, the people, the Christians that have been deceived into thinking everything passes and only good comes, that's not what's going to happen. That's not the plan of God. Evil gets worse and worse. Deceivers get worse and worse. So, here's a reminder from Paul to Timothy a lot of your hardship will come from those that are in the church. Unscrupulous men will continue to exploit the faith. That means people in the church. Paul actually calls them conmen. He says, your hardship will come from those in the church. Yes, persecution will come from those who don't know God, but you must stay on guard because it's coming from all different directions. First Peter 4.12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing was happening unto you. Peter gets in on these warnings now, and he tells the saints that there's a fiery trial that awaits them. If they choose the narrow road, if they accept the master's invitation to live in the kingdom of God, not only hardships and persecutions, sacrifice and sufferings are ahead, but multiple endless trials and testings by God will find them as well. Expanded version. My friends, beloved, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble he calls the fiery trial Terrible trouble or ordeal, which now comes to test you. Do not think that something strange is happening to you. A lot of us today in the church, we're surprised. We've not been readied by the truth for the terrible trouble that's coming. We're not aware of the wholesale deception coming against the church. You know, we have three enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we know the whole world lies in wickedness, so you know they're against the message of God. Your flesh, right, it's a temptation. Jesus was tempted in the flesh for the 40 days. The devil promised him glory. The devil promised him food, all things that would appeal to his flesh. And it does the same things to us too. And the world, the way we respond to the temptations in the world, God looks at that as how can he trust us with spiritual things? So we want to make sure that we pass these tests all the time. Once again, the expanded version. Beloved, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Do not think that something strange is happening to you. Terrible trouble is fiery trial. It's for God's purpose of testing us. We don't like that, and we won't say so. We'll keep that aspect of gospel truths hidden from the saints. If we don't know verses like this one, saints, you will fall for the danger. You will think it's strange when false preachers, start preaching from your pulpit. You will think it's strange when the apostasy comes and people are leaving the faith. You will think it's strange when people are after your money in the Bible and there's all sorts of division going on within your home church because you haven't been warned about the dangers that are coming, not against you from the outside, but against you from within. It's something you must be warned about. We do that constantly. And so Uh, If we have been deceived by teachers who don't believe the Bible, for instance, many Bible teachers are assaulting now the sinless life of Christ. They're attacking the, what is it, the resurrection. They're rebuking the Immaculate Conception. I mean, they're out there and they are challenging these truths that have been known for centuries that are Bible-based, that are true, that are the foundation of our Christian faith. They're after all of them. Jesus did not live a sinless life. All of these. And yet we need to know the Bible so we can stand against them so we don't think it's strange what's happening because Jesus said, that's going to mark my return. That's going to mark my coming back to judge the world and the nation of Israel. And we have to know these so that we can be strong and we're not surprised and we're not taken off guard. You know, many preachers today in our pulpits, they don't understand the testing aspect of God's relationship with us. He's preparing us for heaven. Okay, You don't work for your salvation. Your salvation is free, but you must work to keep it. You must work to guard it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who's working in you both to will and to do. It's good pleasure. Many of you work out. It seems to be a mantra in today's society. We've got to keep our bodies healthy. So we watch what we eat. We work out. We exercise. And we get enough sleep and all of this stuff. And that's nice. But as much attention as you pay to the protection of your body, you need to watch out and make sure that you're protecting your soul. God says, work out your salvation, but he gives you workout partners. Amen? Fear and trembling, those are your workout partners. You must work in the fear of the Lord. You must live your life in the fear of the Lord. He's God, you're not. And he's got the ultimate say. And as long as we stay on that narrow path, as long as we do the things that we're supposed to be doing, paying attention to the warning signs, separating ourselves from preachers that don't have God's heart, John says, try the spirits. Don't let just anybody talk to you. Try the spirits. See what's going on. Test these people against the word of God. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, God was talking about the Jews. He says, and I will bring the third part of the Jews through the fire. He's talking about only a third of the Jewish people would survive the tribulation, only a third, but those third would come through it. They would be the remnant. I will bring the third part of the Jews through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, this is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. That's what the fire will do. It will refine you. There's a quote somewhere. Do I have it? Yes, I do. Uh, Stedman. uh, I think it's Ray Stedman. He sums up the warnings in Hebrews when he talks about the fact that our God is a consuming fire. And he says, the proper attitude of Christians must be one of awe that a being of such majesty and glory could find a way to dwell eternally with such sin controlled and sin injured creatures as us. Since our God is a consuming fire, we must cry with Isaiah, who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with the everlasting burning? God's love is just such a fire. Catch this. It destroys what it cannot purify, but it purifies what it cannot destroy. That is a perfect demonstration of your need to be found in Christ. Because the consuming fire will try you and it will test you. And if you're relying on your own righteousness, it will destroy you. But if you are found in Christ, then it will only purify you. That's what the fires of God do to us, do for us. They purify us. They prepare us for life in the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus, we have a relationship that cannot be destroyed. Our great king is leading us through trials and difficulties in order that we may at last cry with brother Job. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Notice the verse. Many say this Old Testament God, right, our God is a consuming fire. Not the New Testament God, only the Old Testament God. They say the New Testament God doesn't test us. He doesn't try us. Well, let's read that again. Maybe I misread it. But our God is a consuming fire. It doesn't say our God was a consuming fire. It says our God is a consuming fire. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same way God tests the Jews, he will test the church. You got to understand, God loves the Jews just as much as he loves the church. And yet he did his best to bring them into salvation He gave them Messiah to minister to the world about the grace of God, and he does the same thing for the church, but in the same way his goodness is manifested to the Jew and the church, it's also his anger, his judgment, his working is manifested to us through trials and tribulations. Don't blame Satan for everything. Sure, I get in trouble sometime when my flesh Gets the final vote. I get that. But God's provided for my deliverance, my healing, my forgiveness. If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's the advantage we have over the Jews. The Jews had to hang out a year for their sin to get forgiven. We can go straight to God now. Me and God. I don't need a priest there for me. I've got the high priest, Jesus Christ. I can get cleansed up on my own as soon as I acknowledge my sin. Hallelujah. So remember, God, the verse doesn't say he was and is no longer a consuming fire. The Bible says he is a consuming fire. So when you hear the the scriptures that talk about being tested in the furnace of affliction, uh, that God is burning away the dross and the silver as an analogy to what he's doing in the lives of the Christians – don't think it's a strange thing that's happening to you. It is the will of God. Christianity, it's a hard life. It's a life of stress and endurance. Remember, uh, you've got to endure the trials in the book of Revelation. And when he's talking to the seven churches, that word endurance, enduring to the end, endurance through suffering, enduring through death, that is the testing that will prove to you that you have been found worthy to live life eternally in the kingdom of heaven. James 1, verse 3, be assured and understand that the trial and the proving of your faith will bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. That's why you're going through this, because God's trying to refine in you steadfastness, endurance, and patience. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't shy away. Don't be confused. Don't be ignorant of the word of God all things work together for the good of God, of those who love God, and are called according to his purposes. If you're called according to the purposes of God, then he's going to do what's best for you. If that best during this season has to be testing your faith, getting you into the fire of affliction to remove sin from your life, let him do it. Do it joyfully, and trust that he always has your good at heart. In Jesus' name, amen.